Good morning. Wilkinson here. This morning I'm with Jill Langham. And who is she, you might ask? Well, she is, well, she wrote a book. And the book is How I Became the Dancing Queen of Palm Springs. So, people, I want you to meet the Dancing Queen. Say hi, Jill. Hi, Wilkinson. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Thanks for coming over. Thank you. Where are we going to start? Good Lord. I read your book. Appreciate that. Wow. I, I, okay, I have one question. Why did you start your book in February? Oh, that was, <laughs> thank you for actually asking. I am a very symmetric person and it killed me, but the January chapter is where really the most important the three things in my life happened. And the person that was helping me just said it would kind of be a drag to have it all come out in January and people might not want to continue to read, but right. that's I how it happened. I kind of suspected that, but I, but I thought I would ask anyway. <laughs> So an interesting book, and we'll have the link in the episode notes, but you can get her book on Amazon. Hope you buy it. All right. Where do you want to start? Any ideas? Uh, who, are, who are you? You're the well, dancing queen. We got that. But I and, guess, and, how did you become the dancing queen? Let's share that info. Well, since I was a very young child, I was related to music in a way that I never really understood or appreciated. I just knew that when music came on, I couldn't sit still. And my family kind of encouraged me in that regard. So I started with Zorba the Greek was actually my first adventure in dancing for anybody wow. uh, publicly. And I never had heard the music before. The music came on at a backyard, probably a 4th of July party. And I just stood up from where I was and I started dancing on one leg and we had albums back in those days. And I continued on one leg for, what was it, 23 minutes or something. And then the music ended and they took the needle off. I went and grabbed some food, sat down. It was like, <laughs> okay, done. You know? But truthfully, it was coming to Palm Springs that, and coming for the white party that the dancer in me woke up again. And the response that I got from all you wonderful men around me, encouraging wonderful me. Wonderful gay men. Wonderful gay men. <laughs> Thank you very much. Of course, I don't talk about anybody but gay men, but you're right. All right. I will make that very clear. We were at White Party, and I just have never been so well received in my entire life. And from that moment on, it in I was encouraged by the gay community to continue to dance, and I have done so for the last 17 years. And that was in 2005, correct? Four or five. I swear to God, I have some kind of... Well, your book says dis- it's 05, so we're Well, let's with, go with it, because it's like a dyslexic <laughs> thing with me at this point. Good. Thank okay. you for reminding me. And the other thing I was wondering is, you mentioned it was in March. Did they have the... Well, the white party was in March back then, because it's April now. Actually, it, it, it used to only be on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday weekend. So wherever that Correct. And that must have been one year when Lent was like February 2nd or something. Yikes. Um, So. Huh. So was it during the dancing you had your epiphany? Or no, no, it was 2, it was 2 a.m. as I recall. You have a great memory. Was it in... Were you sleeping or were you dancing when I when was dancing? Okay. I was so two a.m. You're dancing in the convention okay. center with they. They used to claim that thirty thousand gay men came to Palm Springs. Now were there ten thousand at the party? There were a lot of gay men. Let's just put it that way. Right. And right. and everyone was doing what everyone does at two o'clock in the morning, which is a lot of different things. And I was dancing because I was there for the music, and uh, I heard what I thought was coming through the music moved to Palm Springs and trained gay men. Hmm. 
And my husband had just gone to get us our last drink and must have been tended to because the bar was still open. So I was by myself and I started looking around and everyone's still doing whatever they were doing. No judgment, of course. Um, and I was like, what was Jeffrey Sanker, who was alive at the time, putting subliminal messages into the music? I really had no clue. Never oh, wow. been there before. When I heard it, Wilkinson, the second time, and I just got goosebumps right now. I, I, they're coming like in, in waves here. I said, oh, my God, this is a message for me. And I stood there and I, I'm, if you were on me right now, you would say she's got goosebumps everywhere. Right, right. It was incredible. It took a year for me to move here. But that is what stimulated my move to Palm Springs. You just mentioned something else. Trainer. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Want to get to that later or what? No, well, well, before before okay. we get into that, I have another question. Please. So do you get... Uh, so, so you said an epiphany is the word you used. Was that, do you hear little voices telling you stuff? Was it your knowing? I do a lot of energy work. So my guy would say, I'm coming into my knowing when I hear that kind of stuff. Well, how, you know, do you, how do you look at it? I, it's an interesting question. I really felt like it was, I'm just going to use the voice of God. I, I am a religious person in that regard that I believe in a higher power. I do call it God, call him God, who, whomever we are. But um, I also have learned to listen to that voice. So there were times in my life that I did not. But this one was just so spot on and so powerful. I could not not hear it. At the point you heard that to the point you moved, actually moved here, what was the time gap? It was one year. One year uh, later. Actually, okay. we moved May 25th, so it was a year and a couple months later. And I have never been more positive about something in my entire life. And from the moment that I came here, the doors, windows, you, whatever you want to call them, have been opening for me, just for me validating the fact that I needed to listen to that voice. It's, and you get along with gay guys. Uh, do I? <laughs> we all know I was a gay man in another life or lives or whom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Well, you know why? Crazy. Did I tell you why? Please. We want your high heels. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's pretty simple. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Okay. Is it like the Wicked Witch of the West? I've got to die before you can no, get no, him? No. Or... Oh, no, no. <laughs> so you moved here in, say, around 206. Correct. So you've been here, what is that? My math is bad. 14, 14 something. 14-ish, yeah, 15 ish, years. right. Okay. So yeah. what's happened while you're here? I mean, well, besides being the dancing queen at Oscars <laughs> every Sunday, besides that. <laughs> well, uh, just kind of reminding people, those who do know me and those who had known my ex-husband at the time, I was married at the time, so... We, we separated in 2012 amicably um, and amicably divorced, I will say as well. But my point being that up until he left, I didn't really know, you know, were people responding to me? Were they just responding to this couple who was athletically inclined and didn't look our ages and didn't act our ages, if right. that makes any sense. But it was after he left that I really began to appreciate that there was something in me that I seem to be providing to others that they, they meaning the gay community, you men, just encourage me to continue to be myself, something that I had never felt comfortable being in any straight situations. It oh. never, never worked for me. So the voice told you to train. Correct. So were you a trainer before you came here? I, I was. I had gotten my training cert certification in 1994 
right at the same time that I had met who became my, I call him my second husband. We didn't marry, but we owned a business together. He was just opening his business. And I had the question of, will I become a trainer or will I work in the business with him? And I chose to work in the business with him. So in 2000, fast forwarding, when Steve, my ex and I got together and we began training for bodybuilding shows, I'd been training myself for 25 years prior to meeting him with what I call no visible results. And within six months of training with him, I was able to do my first ever bodybuilding competition in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I won the entire show. Wow. And after that, I thought, well, maybe I need to be a trainer because maybe I really do know what the heck I'm doing. That's when I began training people in Santa Fe. We moved to Santa Fe. It wasn't until I came here and then really became the trainer. World Gym was the first gym I went to. You know, I could have easily gone to EOS or one of the other ones that are around, but something drew me to World Gym and I've been a trainer there ever since. And I've, I've trained more gay men than I ever have straight or any kind of women, whether lesbian or straight. Right. Um, what were you doing wrong for 25 years when you said you did, you had no results uh, before you changed everything. what you did? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Every, I was overtraining. Okay. I was over, uh, overdoing it on cardio. I was not eating enough because we all back in those days believed the less you ate, the less you weighed. I also did not have a balance of hormones, female hormones in my body. Again, why I think I really was a gay man some other time. Um, <laughs> really, it wasn't until I went into menopause when they check your levels that they said, you have like no female hormones, a tiny bit of testosterone, and the only thing left in you is progesterone. And I don't think you're having a baby anytime soon. So it was like, no wonder nothing worked on me. Wow. Um, but, and I also, for the, those that have uh, read some of my things online, I had an undiagnosed thyroid condition. So without going too crazy medically, just the thyroid gland, which is what is producing your energy, uh, utilizing your energy, I should say, with the body, mine was subclinical. So as much as I had this, I wanted to be an example of someone who was living the right life and taking care of myself, right. my body wasn't following suit. So I was holding on to all this fat on my body, frustrated out of my mind, but that's how the Wait, training. so you were fat? I was. Because I can't picture that. <laughs> well, there is a picture at World Gym if you ever want to see. I never weighed a lot in terms of pounds, but because I suffered so significantly with inflammation, I looked swollen all the time. I looked oh. like I weighed 20 pounds more than I did. And it wasn't until the ex put me on this bodybuilding eating plan of eating every three hours, six times a day, got rid of all the, whether it was junk food or just foods that I actually had unknown allergies to. Once the right. inflammation went away, all the muscles popped up to the surface. So it was a huge eye-opening part of my life. Wow. This is totally off topic, but something <laughs> else. Of course I do that. Another thing that popped out at me, you were talking about your connection to Europe. Mm. It's weird. That struck me because... I've been to Europe three times and I've told my friends when, when I'm there, I feel more at home there than I do here. So talk about that. What, what was the connection when you were over there? What happened was I had planned, I think it was four, possibly five different trips from the time I was 18 years old to go to Europe. And every single time the plans got foiled at the last minute and I could never go until 1991. So mathematically, what was I? 
don't even know my math right now, 30 something, let's just okay. call it. And Close I, yeah, I seriously, <laughs> sorry, people, it's like embarrassing. Anyway, um, once I got there, it was just like everything, just like you said, everything just clicked into place. And although I know this is hard to believe, I'm really a very shy person. I didn't talk to many people when I was on my trips because I traveled alone, didn't know about the gay community or, you know, the gay neighborhoods. So I just, when I would walk around, I felt like my feet had been on these streets or these places, you know, eons ago or centuries ago. And that's how it was for me. It was nothing more than just, like you said, feeling comfortable outside of the United States. Even the food I like over there. Oh, God. <laughs> Remember I was in France and my, I mean, I could have had this every meal. So fresh salad, a little bit of baguette and some baked goat cheese. And I was good to go. Yum. And did you have the experience of eating a lot more in Europe and coming home weighing less? Does that happen to men? I don't think I gained weight over there. Well, I, and I know for me, the first trip I went over, I went to visit my Italian relatives and they uh -huh. fed me like you cannot believe. That trip, I gained 12 pounds. I'll just say that. But when I came home, I was so full of goodness and family that when my body shed the 12 pounds, I actually looked better than I ever had in my life. So it was wow. almost like I got filled up with love and then I, I shed what I didn't need. And there was a lot of, of huh. positive. It, it was just interesting. And I've always wondered if we do so much more walking there than we ever had in the States until the recent past. On, on one of my trips, interesting you say that because I, there's a guy, Rick Steves, he has Europe through the back door. Yes. yes. He was in, I used to live in Edmonds, Washington. He, his headquarters were there, was there. Mm. So I went in the store and I bought, I was going to go to Europe. I bought a backpack for like $200, a special backpack. And it was like, buy all your washable, breathable clothes, your backpack loaded cannot be more than 25 pounds, period. Okay. So I was over there. I went to France, as I said, then I went to uh, Belgium, England, and I would buy stuff and I knew I couldn't put it in the pack, so I would send it back home. Ah. So I sent all these packages. And then when I got home, first of all, I was carrying stuff that didn't fit in there. So I was kind of cheating a little bit, <laughs> but I was running, you know, catching trains and doing all this stuff. After sending everything home, I got on the scales Guess how much my backpack weighed? 88 pounds. What? <laughs> so that's probably why I didn't get any weight. Oh my. Yeah. No, because I, you know, I go to, I love art and I love oh, books. Wow. And I, even though I ship stuff, I would still have everything packed in there. And it was crazy. Holy I was running around with not, almost 90 pounds on my back. That's amazing. You have some good, strong muscles. Let me tell you what I'm impressed. Well, I wish. <laughs> well, okay. Wow. So why aren't you living in Europe? I do Because you couldn't be the dancing queen in Palm Springs if you were in well, Europe, Well, right? I think we'd probably just change that name a little bit, like the <laughs> dancing queen of Seaches, perhaps. There you go. But it is interesting. I'm kind of going to waylay the question a, a tiny bit by saying this. I've been a little disillusioned by the direction that Palm Springs is taking these last couple of years. Forget COVID, but since about 2014. So I've been keeping my eyes open. And my biggest problem, seriously, Wilkinson, is I don't speak a second language. I barely speak English. So right. <laughs> Um, the, and I, I took French in high school, or grammar school in high school. And, you know, how, where did that get me? I should have taken Spanish, never did. And I'm living out here all these years. Why haven't I? Who knows? But that's really my only situation that kind of makes me think, do I want to be in a place where I'm really not understanding the people's language? I can understand people's emotions and feelings. I'm very intuitive that way. But I 
I know that I would need to to finally study and immerse myself. And mm-hmm. perhaps when I do that, then I will be heading heading over to Europe. Well, I've never been there, but I've heard a <laughs> lot about Portugal. I was lucky enough to be there in 2019, right before the whole COVID thing started, and went to Lisbon and blocking. They, they speak English a lot. They don't really they? do. No, they do. Yeah. You you wouldn't have so you a problem. Probably would be okay ish there if you're not in some small town somewhere. Totally. Right? And actually, I don't know if you've been to Sitges no. as well, but outside of Barcelona, they also. I mean, genuinely, people all over the the world right now are speaking English, but when people really get into it, they go right back to their original language. And, you know, as they say, less in translation, there really is a lot. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I'd feel very comfortable in a place like Portugal or in, in Spain someplace, but we'll see. We'll see if Palm Springs can rise up again. Hopefully. I hope. I'm probably thinking about maybe making a change, but maybe for different reasons. Mm. So. <laughs> Interesting. But another line that struck me in your book, you said life is really interesting when you pay attention. Well, that's interesting when my when my do not disturb is on. How about that? Sorry, people. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, life is really well. Life is really interesting when you pay attention and your phone is really not off and it's supposed to be. I think for myself that, and I do a weird thing with letters, so I'm just going to say this right now. So, pay attention is P and A. And when I was in nursing school, A and P stood for anatomy and physiology. So I always thought if you're not paying attention to your anatomy and physiology, you're going to end up accident prone, which is the other AP. So I feel that for so much of my life, I was actually mute. I was a listener and the people that know me here are like, oh, she's talking all the time and she's writing. And that was not me. I was a 50 years a listener grew up with the old children should be seen and not heard. And I just continued to be that person. But it allowed me to pay attention to a lot of things that others have missed. So that's really where that sentence in my book kind of came from is, you know, are you are you paying attention to, you know, your behaviors, people's reactions, body language, the messages your body's sending you, those kinds of things. So that Mm -hmm. I believe that's what I was referring to in that statement. Sounds good. I'm going to make another left turn. Okay. (laughs) Can we talk about your mother? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I didn't write notes on this, but I'm blanking out. So the rings that were came to you, were they from your mother or were they? They were actually my mother's uh, wedding ring, my father's wedding ring, and my grandmother's engagement ring. Tell that story. (laughs) That's a cool story. I was supposed to be left those when my mom passed away and I had actually forgotten. It was so long ago that she had promised them to me and I'm not really much of a jewelry person. So I didn't really think about it. And right right now, forgetting exactly what year it was, my sister and I were on the telephone and and I said something like, gosh, I really wish I had something of mom's. And she said, oh, it's a shame that that those rings got stolen. And I was like, rings? And then she said, remember the engagement rings, et cetera. And I'm like, oh my God, what happened? And she said what we thought is that when she had, my mom had gone into the nursing home that unfortunately the staff had stolen them, which we do hear these stories all the time. So I just kind of let it go. And the next morning, uh, my best girlfriend was coming over who needed a ride to uh, uh, Los Angeles. When I opened the door to have her come in, she was on the telephone and she walked in and, and she kept signaling to me, you know, like, I've got something to tell you. And of course, I was waiting for her to get off the phone. Anyway, she walked in wearing this adorable jean jacket. 
And when she hung up the phone, I just said, oh, Giselle, I said, that jacket, I'm so envious. I said, I've never looked good in a jean jacket. I keep buying them and they all look terrible. She goes, this is from, she goes, you gave me this jacket. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, I've never seen that thing before in my life. Long story short, when my mom was moving to the nursing home, we went through her clothing. I found evidently this jean jacket, thought it was really cute, brought it back to Palm Springs with me, never wore it. When okay. I was moving out of my ex's home into my own, had a big garage sale and she came over to buy all my jean jackets. Okay, great. <laughs> and I said, what? She goes, as a matter of fact, she goes, I have something you lost. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? She opens her hand. She has her hand toward me. She drops these three rings into my hand. And I'm like, these don't belong. They said, these look like something your mother. And I went, oh, Oh. my God. And I have goosebumps again. Right. These are the rings I am wearing right now on my hand. We both started sobbing. And then she said, this is the last little part of a long story. She said, you're never going to believe this. She said, she herself was moving. And simultaneously, her youngest kid came home with... What a ring room, whatever kids are getting in school. I'm totally blocking the name of it right now. And and we're, the instructions from the school was you got to wash all your clothes in a certain temperature and in, in big, right. you know, industrial dryers and washers. She put the jacket in, had no idea they were in the top pocket that actually was uh, buttoned down. Thank goodness these buttons still work. Right. She had to put it through the washer and dryer twice. And she said it wasn't until that morning she was talking on the phone earlier when she just kind of felt, and she said, what is this? And pulled them out. They'd been in there now for like four years. Oh, wow. So (laughs) talk about somebody talking from the grave. I mean, it's an incredible story. Thank you for asking me about it. I sometimes forget. It was a really cool story. It was a beautiful moment in my life. (laughs) You talked about another one that's probably more sensitive, but you apparently... Was it a repressed memory that came back where you had been abused? Correct. And you tried to tell her about it, and her response wasn't exactly what you wanted. Right? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was. I was in. I put myself into a thirty-day uh, program, thinking that I had been sexually abused by a babysitter. And they have the thing called family week that last week when you're in treatment. And when she came in, my mom had this real evil eye type of thing. And she was a little less than happy to see me. I I could just tell like my energy was really weird and hers was even weirder. And she kind of turned little head turn, put the evil eye and she said, just be very careful what you're about to say basically was her response. Wow. And I knew in that moment, like, oh boy, <laughs> this is never going to go the way that I had hoped that it would. Hmm. However, the people at the facility were incredible and they they really opened my eyes to how defensive my mother was and that I was never going to get from her what I actually needed and that I was really capable of taking care of myself. So it was a huge wow. blessing and a strange packaging that i think it brought up a memory for me because uh, i think it was like 1989 i'd been in therapy i was married at the time but i Mm. went back east to my visit my parents in virginia my mother used to be an underwear model before she met my father and then she became a radio preacher whoa (laughs) so that's where i come from (laughs) (laughs) so very very strict religious stuff like that well there was stuff in my life as a kid that i wanted to talk about And it was similar to what you wanted something from them, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I went and of course in my family, any holiday, my siblings would be there. We talk about the weather, antiques, food. That's all we talked about. Nothing of substance at right. all. Right. Finally, everybody leaves. I'm on the floor. Our family photo album was a, a green metal bread box. One of those old bread boxes. <laughs> right. And everything got thrown in there. Right. Photos, birth certificates, whatever. So I'm sitting there. I have it all spread on the floor. And I went trying to start a conversation. And I say to them, when I look at these photos of one, I was a kid, my stomach starts churning. Now, my parents were anti-psychology, anti-therapy, anti-you name it. They were anti. And it's like, so basically she told me, don't go there. Of course, the Christian background, it's all covered by the blood, you know, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't talk about anything. Mm -hmm. So being persistent as I am, I said, okay, let's do an example. I say, and I hope this isn't sensitive to you, mm. but I said, okay, if a girl is raped when she's younger, God can do wonderful things in her life, but she needs to deal with that at some point. Mm. Yes. And my mother sits up on her chair. She called me Jimmy at the time. And mm. she goes, Jimmy, I was raped several times as a young girl and I'm fine. Uh, Which oh, breaks told my me heart. a whole lot. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and my parents are really the only ones I did not come out to when I came out in 1999. Wow. Because I knew on some level that I wasn't, well, first of all, they were elderly, they were ill, they were mm. on the East Coast, mm. and they were super religious. Maybe I miscalculated. However, I figured I'm not going to get really what I want, which is just to be accepted for who I am. Absolutely. And so oh. they're the only people I didn't come out to. Wow. But, but this is your story, not mine. Well, no, but you know what? It, it's all, this is part of why I feel so comfortable with the men of the gay community, so many different things, never feeling accepted by my family, feeling like the black sheep, never being accepted by straight people, because I've always been different. And the different happens to be just this energy that I have and this, whatever it is you might see, I let right. you decide what that is. But I'm not like a lot of other people. I never fit in. I never belong. So just that in itself, it's like, oh my God, my my tribe is here. I don't have to over explain, even though I am right now. But I mean, we, we speak the same language. Right. And that's why it's so meaningful for me to be here. The role that it seems that I've played is I call it kind of a consigliore type thing. People are constantly confessing things to me that they'll say, I've never told this to anybody before mm -hmm. in my life. And I'm just like grateful, you know, um, that, that, that I represent someone that they can trust enough to share their deepest, darkest secrets. And I'm keep those close to my heart, of course, but that's really why I do what I do. And I live where I live. It's funny that people do that. Cause I was just thinking, so when I came out, I worked in a real estate office up in Washington and I had a lot of female close friends, mm. but once I came out, you would not believe the stuff they told me or asked me about their husbands and boyfriends. It's like, I don't know, go ask them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it was, it was really strange. But I think, you know, it's finally a uh, feeling that you have somebody you can be safe with to talk. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's, it's a shame that we that at least you and I are saying the same thing. I wasn't able to do that with my family. I do right. know people that have been blessed to be able to do that, but that wasn't right. my journey. And this this is my journey. Well, Miss Dancing Queen, <laughs> thank you for coming over. Oh, my Do you have any final words of wisdom for anybody or any thoughts? Just just to always say thank you. Really 
to you personally and, and to the community for really accepting me, encouraging me to be who I was meant to be and to just to say to people, please tell your truth. It's all we have. And once you do, the freedom that you feel is there are no words. Mm. There are no words. Well, thank you for sharing yours. Thank you Appreciate so much. It.